The views, information, and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speakers and do not represent Holding Short Media nor any organization that the speakers have been, currently are, or will be affiliated with. Welcome to the Holding Short Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Matheson. Today we are joined by Michelle Matt Stotine. Becoming a skydiver was never part of her life plan, but when Michelle Matt Stotine did her first tandem jump nearly 13 years ago, she was hooked. In the middle of completing her undergraduate degree at the University of Ottawa in leisure studies, Michelle drastically turned her focus from studying recreation in Indigenous cultures to finishing her degree studying the gender barriers in extreme sports. In the process of her studies, she joined the Women's Initiative Committee of the Canadian Sport Parachuting Association as a volunteer, looking to increase female involvement in skydiving. During that time, she completed a graduate diploma in sport business management from Algonquin College, and in 2013, became the executive director of the Canadian Sport Parachuting Association. She continued her studies part-time while working for the association, and just recently finished an accounting diploma to complete a tertiary qualification of sport, business, and accounting. Michelle has been a certified skydiver for over 10 years with a D license and multiple coach, instructor, and examiner ratings. She holds four Canadian skydiving records and has competed in both indoor and outdoor skydiving competitions. When she's not skydiving, she can be found on the golf course in the summers and actively skiing in the winters. I could not be more excited to have her join me today. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for finding the time for us. Always. So all, all that to say, how did you get your start in aviation? I did a tandem skydive and absolutely loved it. And then fast forward a couple of years, I was in the middle of university and finishing some studies and then decided I couldn't wait. And I went back and did my second and third jumps and finished my student program, became certified and through what I felt like three years of university out the window and completely changed my studies and then was hooked ever since. So what was it that started that first jump? Was it a birthday? Was it a special occasion or just something that you'd always wanted to do? It was never on my radar. I went out with a bunch of friends and they were going for a bachelor party and I tagged along and the rest is history. Scott Evans was literally never on my radar. Now, what was that first jump like when you're actually strapped to the other person looking out over the plane? Terrifying. Terrifying. And I tell this to all of our first time jumpers, the first jump you don't really remember it because there's so much going on. And I always tell people that the second jump is way more fun because you have an appreciation of everything that's happening and the beauty that's around you. So the second jump is always going to be better than the first. That's my personal opinion. (laughs) Interesting. I think I would have thought that the first one would be more memorable or the most memorable, like doing a first solo when it comes to flying. But I guess, yeah, you might just be so out of your element you're in something completely unnatural for the human body that you might just tend to black part of it out yeah the first jump is the first jump has the thrill and the exhilaration and the adrenaline to it but the second has the understanding of how beautiful the sport is and what you can really do in it could i just ask sort of broadly what is the canadian sport parachuting association Yeah, so in a nutshell, uh, we're the national sport organization under the federal government of Sport Canada for parachuting activities in Canada. Uh, We've 
been around for over 60 years uh, and we're the equivalent of Swimming Canada, Basketball Canada, Hockey Canada for skydiving. So we're, we're a much smaller organization than the big the big guys, um, but we're essentially responsible for certifications in our industry, uh, coach and instructor ratings, safety protocols, safety programs, uh, rigging certifications. Uh, we're responsible for selecting athletes to compete at world championships on behalf of Canada. Uh, we build long-term athlete development programs, and we're also responsible for liaising with different levels of government, such as Transport Canada, NAV Canada, all those in the aviation industry. So really, as you sort of said, you're the everything. Yeah, you're the everything for sport parachuting in Canada. Yes, pretty much. Now, is there a part of the operation or I guess rather the oversight that you have that is more of a focus? Is there one big, big chunk or is it all kind of blending together? I would say programming and safety and competition are our big ones. So we train athletes to compete, but we also train them to stay active in the sport and develop as coaches and instructors. So it, it all kind of ties back together. Now, on average, how many competitions would you say there are a year just domestically? Uh, we have one national competition that we host every two years. And then we have some provinces that host provincials uh, every year on their own. We used to have competitions that uh, went alternate years of our nationals, but we struggled because the lack of participation. So now we just have a nationals every two years and it falls opposite to the world championships, which are every opposite two years. Which makes sense so that you don't have athletes that have, are having to choose or there's conflicting dates. They exactly. can just know that there's something always coming up every year. Now, with regards to these competitions, what are some of the different aspects that you would see, I guess, sort of graded that you're evaluated on in a competition? What are some of the categories? Yep. So we call them disciplines. Um, if I was to divide them broadly, we would look at free fall disciplines and canopy disciplines. The free fall disciplines, some of the most common ones we call, we say four way. So it basically is a team of four people and they're building predefined formations in the air within 35 seconds and the maximum amount of points within a round wins the round and you do 10 rounds. Um, so you can do that for four way with eight way. And then there's also something called 10 way speed. So the number is just the number of free fallers in the air. Um, and then there's a videographer that's flying slightly above them that's capturing all of this and it's all judged on the ground. The next uh, free fall discipline is artistic free flight or artistic uh, freestyle. And it's basically one or two athletes that are doing free routines or compulsory routines. Um, and they're judged on their artistic ability as well as their execution of the routines themselves. Um, wingsuit is another popular discipline in free fall. Um, the average person would know them as the Birdman suits, but they're officially called wingsuiters. Uh, and they single athletes can compete in performance and they do a bunch of tasks in free fall when they're wearing their wingsuits. So the most time that they can stay in free fall, the furthest they can fly in free fall and um, the speed. So the fastest that they can fly in free fall. And then their times are averaged across the other competitors um, across those three tasks. Then you can also have artistic wingsuit, which is two wingsuiters that again, fly free and compulsory routines. And it's really graceful to watch if you YouTube it. Uh, and they do flips and sequences and basically maneuvers in the air that are all judged on their artistic talents. And then you have canopy formation, uh, canopy disciplines, which is basically the free fall is not part of the competition. It's what's happens under canopy. Um, the, 
the one of the oldest disciplines is called classic accuracy. Um, truthfully, these athletes don't get the credit that they deserve. Um, they fly the largest parachutes of most of our disciplines, but their goal is to land on a small one centimeter target on the middle of like a giant air mattress. Um, so they get the lowest score is actually the winner of a classic accuracy round. So if you think you're jumping out of a plane and then you're trying to hit a one centimeter disc, that's classic accuracy. Um, the next one would be canopy formation, which similar to the freefall disciplines, the under canopy, they're trying to link up um, and hook feet on the lines of the canopies, and they're trying to build the predetermined formations under canopy, again, within a set time frame, and the judges watch all of this on video. Uh, the last canopy discipline is called canopy piloting, um, mostly known as swooping, um, which basically is one of the newer disciplines uh, in the world, and it's one of the most up-and-coming. It's fast-paced, it's got the adrenaline, um, and it takes a lot of technique and a lot of precision to fly it. But same concept as wingsuit, you're looking at accuracy, speed, and distance, and you're doing all of this under very small canopies um, flying right over the ground. So the athletes increase the speed of their canopies and they swoop uh, over a, a pond of water, which is actually like a safety net instead of the ground. And their goal is to drag their foot in the pond and then travel their canopy across the pond and land accordingly to the speed, the accuracy, or the distance of the task that they're competing in. So in a nutshell, those are the most popular com competition disciplines. <laughs> I'm listening to you describe swooping and all I can think of is that it sounds like something out of a Bond film. It pretty much is, yeah. But it's one of the most popular disciplines in the world and it's the most spectator friendly. Um, and it's one of the disciplines that definitely attracts the average person into the sport. No, and uh, that's an excellent point in terms of sort of spectator friendly with the swooping, at least it would be relatively, I mean, ground level as close as possible so that spectators on the ground can observe as Absolutely. opposed to having someone film the routine while it's happening in the air and then reviewing the footage later on on the ground. Correct. Is there a type of competition display that you find most interesting or uh, just the most fun to watch? I personally am privy to four-way. I like it because it's fast paced and there's memory. You have to know the points that you're flying. You need to build the formations and it's, it takes teamwork to do it. So that's my personal favorite, but I have a lot of respect for people in the other disciplines because they aren't easy either, but I'm personally privy to four-way. When you mentioned the uh, classic accuracy and you said centimeter, I thought, oh my goodness, she's, she must've misspoken, but to try and think of a centimeter and that's your point to hit that. I mean, as you said, they don't seem to get the credit they deserve. Cause I think that on its own, in terms of being able to get that close, that precise, I mean, that is just such a, such an art. It's definitely a challenge. And these guys are extremely talented and it's one of the largest disciplines around the world that's still competed in very popular in Europe still. Now, with all these different options, how does someone get started in sport parachuting and get certified? Uh, there's a couple different options for a first jump, um, but I'd say the most common is a tandem skydive. And that's where you as a, you want to go jump and you're basically strapped to a tandem instructor. Um, so your only responsibility is to throw your head on their shoulder, arch and have a good time. Uh, it's definitely the safest way to make a skydive and you actually get some free fall. The other options are straight are pretty much strictly canopy. And it's also, like I said, it's mostly the safest ish uh, option for a first jump. And then typically from a tandem, you go into a free fall progression, which is working one on two or one on one with a free fall instructor. 
and going through a sequence of levels with skills. And in those skills, you learn how to do turns, how to pull your parachute, how to backflip, um, how to maintain a heading and basically how to fly your body. And then once you've got, once you've passed those usually around 10 jumps, that's when you're eligible to reach a solo certificate, which is issued by our association. Um, and that clears you within Canada to jump solo. And so if I was to, for example, get certified solo locally to me, and then I went on vacation to Alberta, I would be fully qualified even in Alberta? Correct. The solo certification is a Canadian certification. And then as you grow and become more experienced into the A, the B, the C, and the D light um, certificates, those have worldwide recognition and those are authorized under the uh, World Air Sports Federation. So with all the different opportunities that someone can have to get into skydiving, what would you say are maybe some of the best ways to compare one organization against another when you're considering going for your first skydiving jump? I think the biggest thing is location. Uh, we have over 30 drop zones across the country in all the pro- pretty much every province and territory. Um, and so picking one that's closest to you is usually a good start. Um, our website has a list of all those drop zones. Some places don't offer training opportunities. Some are literally just first jump. So if you're looking at maybe pursuing the sport, then maybe look at a center that has an opportunity to progress um, and not just go for a first jump. Um, some places have beautiful views. So if you're going for your first jump and it's more of a tourism thing and you want the beautiful views, you could also pick locations that are maybe, uh, along a body of water, um, or at this point it's the fall and the leaves are beautiful. <laughs> um, so it really depends on what you're looking to get out of your first jump, but most people typically place, pick a location based on what's closest to them or where they're going on vacation. I was just wondering if there was something along the lines of like, oh, if they have this type of certification versus another, or if it's um, any drop zone that's listed on our website is is authorized by us as an as a school for first jumps. Authorized and reputable. That's exactly what we yeah. want. Now, as you mentioned, we have all the beautiful fall colors right now where we are recording. Um, is sport parachuting something that's done year round, or is it particularly seasonal? Truthfully, it depends on the province that you live in. Um, Most of the Eastern provinces operate between May and mid-October, although it's abnormally warm right now, as you've already seen. Um, Some drop zones do operate in the winter months and they dress accordingly and it's cold, but it's beautiful. Um, And then some drop zones, especially out in BC, much warmer climates, and I've definitely seen them operate 365 days a year. But we're definitely a limited a limited season in comparison to some of our warmer locations and warmer countries. Of course, the weather would have to impact your uh, opportunity to get in skydiving jumps uh, throughout the year. And of course, how lucky are the folks out in BC with a much more temperate climate? Yeah, I'd say definitely one of the things to be wary is that when you go for your first skydive, be patient. We can't control mother nature. Um, we're very limited with the weather forecasts and we do it. Our can- Every drop zone will do what they can to get you up, but we want to do it safely. Um, so just be aware that mother nature trumps any decision that we might make as a skydiver. Now taking the weather into consideration, what is the weather forecasting and I guess software that, uh, you guys use, is it similar to what the pilots are using? And as long as they're good to go, you're good to go, or are there other factors specific to the jumpers themselves? That's a very good question. Um, pilots definitely would use the same softwares and they would report back a lot of the winds aloft to the skydivers. So we look at the direction that the winds are coming from that helps uh, determine what direction we're going to exit the aircraft out of. 
Um, and then also the exit separation between groups for drop zones that have larger aircrafts. And then we're also looking at ground speeds for the winds. Um, there are wind restrictions um, for different levels of licenses. So more experienced skydivers can jump in higher winds, less experienced skydivers need to jump in lower winds. And then obviously we're looking at uh, rain, clouds, all those types of things, but we work very closely with the pilots when we're planning a skydive. Now, is it, I guess, dependent on the type of jump that you're planning for that day where the cloud ceilings are, or is it just sort of, there's a minimum and that's where it is across Canada? You're full of good questions. Uh, when there's low clouds, typically skydivers, we use something called the hop and pop, which is basically we exit the plane. So we hop out of the plane and we pop our parachute. Um, so we can do that from much lower altitudes and we just don't get free fall out of it. So when there are lower cloud ceilings, typically they're full of hop and pop days. Uh, and then when we don't have cloud ceilings, then we go up usually between 10,000 and 13,000 feet is the average tandem skydive. Um, and that's where we get our free fall time. So if we don't have, if we have cloud clearances, that's the altitude that they'll climb to. Now, although the, I, the concept of a free fall sounds much more fun, hop and pop as a name sounds That's awesome. <laughs> sounds way more fun than a free fall. Uh, yeah, it's basically you exit the aircraft, you pull your canopy. Um, it's a great, you don't get the free fall out of it, um, but you also get a much better opportunity to dial in on canopy skills. Now, thinking about if you had just this beautiful, severe, clear day and sort of in between 10 and 13,000 feet, does that come sort of similarly from aviation where we have uh, oxygen regulations or is that just the magic number? So typically uh, 13,000 feet is usually where the larger aircrafts will climb for a free fall skydive. Um, and basically the restrictions work with the pilots and the local restrictions on the oxygen requirements. Usually anything higher than that, we will we'll have to wear oxygen in the aircraft. So again, I guess I'm sort of thinking about it in terms of supplemental oxygen requirements from Transport Canada for flying, it would also carry over into uh, sport parachuting. Yes, but like I said, the average skydiving um, operation doesn't use oxygen for normal activities. Now, as you said, most falls are sort of between, if you have the weather clearance for it, 13 and 10,000 feet above sea level. What is sort of the average time of a free fall? I mean, granted you have ground at different alt like different heights, but I guess sort of what's the average free fall time someone might find? Depending on the aircraft that you're exiting from, I'd say the average free fall time would be between 40 seconds and 60 seconds. Uh, again, it all depends on what altitude you open your canopy at. Um, so yeah, 40 to 60 seconds would be about the average for a Cessna operation up to a caravan or a twin otter. But then so a hop and pop is five seconds of free fall. So it's really just this condensed rush of adrenaline. Yes, 100%. Now, the CSPA is authorized by the Aero Club of Canada to issue certificates on behalf of the Fédération Aéronautique Internationale. How does the FAI govern parachuting activities and records? Yeah, so in English, the FAI is the World Air Sports Federation, but in English, we still call it the FAI under the French wording. Um, basically, they have minimum requirements for A, B, C, and D licenses, and every, Canada, every country that's affiliated to the FAI through their Aero Club, which for us is the Aero Club of Canada, um, has the ability to generate those licenses. So the A license in Canada, which is the first real license that you're going to get, has the same minimum requirements as any other country that issues an A license. So a license in Canada, I can go to the US and it'll be recognized um, because it's the same minimum requirements, same if I travel anywhere else around the globe to a country that is affiliated through the World Air Sports Federation. 
Now, the CSPA also maintains a national team for competition in many disciplines. How are team members selected to represent Canada at the World Parachuting Championships? Primarily, they're selected based on their standings at our national championships, but we also um, correspond them with training plans, um, past competitions that they've competed at, and other standings. Uh, do they have prior experience at other world competitions? And also, uh, where do they, where do their scores stand with the current world standings? So there's a lot of factors that come into play for that. Now, I have heard of indoor skydiving, and I can imagine that it is very, very different than the real thing being out in the elements. But what are some of the common themes between the two? Say the most common thing, your, your indoor skydiving is basically the free fall portion of your skydive. Uh, you're just in a giant glass tube. So without all the air and the atmosphere around you, but uh, skydivers actually use indoor skydiving as great training opportunities for the free fall disciplines, and it's taking competition to an entirely different level since they were introduced. Now, as you mentioned, you have different drop sites all across Canada, but do you guys keep track of the indoor skydiving services that they have available as well? We do, and we have a great relationship with them. Uh, there are three in Eastern Canada, and there's currently one in Western Canada. You mentioned them as a training aid. Are they all sort of limited to a capacity of one, maybe two people, or can they accommodate many more than that? Depends on the size of them. Uh, so a 12-foot tunnel typically would only cater to one or two or maybe three athletes, and the larger tunnels that are 14-footers or all the way up to a 32 footer, which we'll see over on the other side of the world, uh, can fit up to 16 athletes. I hadn't considered them as an option for training for the free fall, but it makes sense that you're spending so much more time there than just the 40 to 60 seconds that you would typically find. You can do hours of free fall time in an indoor tunnel, which would be the equivalent of hundreds of skydives. So it's a much more condensed training opportunity to do free fall training in a tunnel and then take that skill and develop it in the air. Now, what advice would you have for someone who wanted to get into parachuting? Visit our website, find the location drop zone closest to you. Um, don't be afraid to ask questions, but be prepared for an amazing, incredible experience. Um, dress comfortably and be ready for a whole new world. How many people go up for an initial skydive that you would say as an approximate out, uh, approximate percentage? would go on to come back for a second, third, or even go into the training? The general statistic that we use is probably about 25% of a tandem of tandem passengers will come back for a second skydive. 25% might be high. It depends on where you are. Um, and then probably 1% of those will actually go and continue on to be skydivers. It's a very, very small percentage. So it's a beautiful sport. It's amazing. It's fun. It's thrilling. And we need more skydivers. So anybody that goes out to do a tandem is a huge first step. Um, but we need people to promote the sport and recognize that we're not just there for thrill. This is talent. This is education. This is safety. Um, our sport encompasses so much. So we definitely need more retention and we need more skydivers to build that. Approximately how many skydivers are there in Canada? We're currently down in numbers because of COVID, but we have about 3,000 in Canada. And we're on a, in a good non-pandemic, we're probably closer to 33 or 3,500, which is still small, but in a country that has a relatively small population too, that's a pretty good number. I had no sense of what the number would be. Where does that number compare to sort of other countries? We're a tenth of the size of the U.S., but we're also a tenth of the size population, so I'd say we're actually on par. 
Which makes sense. Mm -hmm. For sure. There's only a certain amount of people that would want to go do that. Now, would you please share with me a favorite memory or highlight from any point in your career? I really struggled with this question because I have so many good ones. Um, I think one of my favorite memories was my second Canadian record, uh, which was a 47 way of all females. Um, and the reason that that's really special is 14% of skydivers in Canada are female. So our current Canadian record is 102 people in a formation. And so if you took 14% of them in theory, our 14 way, a 14 way would be the record. Um, the fact that we had 47 talented women that came out and built a record in Canada that large is huge. Um, and just to be surrounded by so much talent for me was a really special moment. So that was definitely a highlight. Um, but I also love coaching and when I'm coaching and taking students up and teaching and just when they have moments in their skydives, when things click, it's really rewarding as a coach. And so that for me doesn't have to be a specific jump. But just that moment, I find really rewarding. And that's another highlight. And it would be getting to take something that you're so passionate about and sharing it with someone else and then seeing that moment where, as you said, it finally clicks and yes. it works for them. They understand it. And that would, it would just be rewarding time and time again. For anyone interested in finding out more about the Canadian Sport Parachuting Association, please visit their website at www.cspa.ca or find them on Facebook at Canadian Skydiving. Michelle, Matt, Stotine, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure. Thanks again. The Holding Short Podcast is a production of Holding Short Media. The show is written and hosted by me, Laura Matheson, and edited and produced by Cameron Bokoff. Our music is an original composition of Riley Searle. If you would like to learn more about the show, the Holding Short podcast is on Instagram and Facebook at Holding Short Media. Please subscribe, rate, and review us.